Yeah, it, it, ha- it has happened. Yeah, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time together today, Lord. We ask that you would bless our time, Lord Jesus, that your word would minister deeply to our souls, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that as uh, we go through some time in your word, that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, that we'd leave here today differently than we, when we came in. And Father, that you would speak to us in ways, attune our ears to hear you in ways that we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. So not too long ago, I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman, and he was convinced that there is absolutely no way that, that children have a sin nature. That, that kids, there's no way that they could be born with, with inherent sin in their, in their, in their soul, Right, and so we had a discussion. It was it was a kind of a lengthy theological discussion about the nature of man and the, the the fall of humanity and sin and these kind of things. But what I was actually thinking was, have you seen them before? From the moment they come into the world, they're demanding their own way, right? They come out, the, the doctor's holding them, and they're, they're screaming and crying. And what they're really saying is, what is wrong with you? Put me back. This is terrible. What are you thinking? I was perfectly comfortable where I was. There's something wrong with you. I mean, they're demanding, aren't they? I mean, from the moment they're born. And the, the thing is that... that they don't change as they continue to, to grow. I have two of them. And I'm going to tell you, they came broken from the factory. There, there, was no, there was no guarantee. There was no warranty. There was no return policy. There's a short circuit. I, I, one of my children, as I, well, both my children have, have very strong personalities. Uh, they, 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 call, they call that sometimes a, uh, uh, what is it, a... Uh, uh, yeah, there's probably a whole lot of names that we've called this before, isn't there? They're, they're, they call children with a strong personality this particular thing, and it's not a swear word, I promise. Strong-willed children. Yeah, strong-willed children. And my, one of my daughters does not like to go to the doctor. And when she goes to the doctor, the, the thing that she hates the most is, is getting a throat swab, right? That, this doesn't seem to me like this big of a deal the throat swab, but we go to the doctor, and she'll tell the doctor, it's not happening. The doctor pulls, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the throat swab today and check you for strep, and, and, and she'll, she'll look at him and say, no. Well, how's that done? And by the time we leave the doctor's office, she'll have had the doctor throat swabbing themselves to show her that it's okay, and then saying, nope, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Right? She just knows what, what she wants to have happen, and she'll, she just makes sure that, that her will is known, and that's, that's the line. And as, as parents, sometimes we just have to find a way to take that line and move it to the other side, don't we? Right, all of us have to, do, have to, have to do with, deal with that sometimes. Um, I, in fact, I watched a two-year-old just the other day, probably a two-and-a-half-year-old at a, a Christmas party, uh, Christmas Eve party. This little girl kept playing on the stairs, of, of this home, and they were pretty steep stairs, and, and dad would tell her, don't go up the stairs. You can't play on the stairs. And he'd take her off the stairs, and uh, the, the, the final time, 
she, she was probably from here to the, the sound booth from, the, from the, the stairs. And dad says, do not play on the stairs. And she says, okay, dad. Puts her hand behind her rear and walks towards the stairs, right? Because she knows what's coming, right? Intellectually, she knows the consequence for disobedience. But something in her soul, something of her will compels her to do what she wants to do regardless. And for many of us in here, we have kids that are the same way, right? All of our children have this nature. Our first nature, our sin nature, is to think that we know better than our parents. To think that our way is the right way, and your way is the highway. That, that our way is the way things should be done, and we, we take that from, from as we're children, and we grow up into adults, and we apply that to God, don't we sometimes? Right? No longer, it, it goes away from, I, I know better than my parents to, maybe I know better than God. We think, uh, we have an expectation that we should get things our way. I love this story in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5 about Naaman, and, and it goes like this. If you've got your Bible and you want to read, I'll, we'll have it up here on the screen. You can follow along. It says this, the king of Aram had great ambition for Naaman, or admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At that time, uh, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl had said. And the king essentially tells Naaman, Well, hey, I'll send you over there. And... Uh, over to, to, to see the prophet, and, well, they'll heal you. So what he does is the king writes a letter for Naaman and sends him over to Israel to give this letter to the king. And this, this letter says, hey, I've sent my, my servant Naaman over to you uh, to heal him of his leprosy. And the king is like, what? What are, you do- what are you doing? You're trying to start a fight, right? And the Bible tells us he got so upset he tore his clothes and... and the rumors spread throughout the kingdom that the king had gotten so upset because here's this guy with leprosy showing up and asked the king to heal him. That's crazy. That's absurd. Well, word gets around to Elisha that here's this man, and he says, well, send him here. We'll show him that there's, there's a prophet. There's a prophet of God still in Israel. Right? And so... He brings with him some gifts to give to Elijah. In fact, according to today's standards, uh, he, he brought um, a bunch of silver, a bunch of gold, some clothing. Clothing, you know, we know clothing are worth. But today, that, the value of those items would have been over $7 million. Right? So Naaman was pretty serious about this, this whole healing thing. And the king really, really loved Naaman. I mean, to be able to, to give him all that stuff and say, here, take this with you. Here's, here's a... Here's a a payoff for your healing, right? So Naaman shows up. Naaman goes, goes into Israel, talks to the king, and, and then he gets sent to Elijah. So he, him and his servants, they go to Elijah's house, and they're, they're standing at the door, and the Bible tells us that Elijah has his servant go to the door and, and to meet Naaman and his servants. So the, the servant goes over, and he opens the door, and he says to, to, to Naaman, Hey, man, listen, um, 
Go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. Okay, good. See you later. Closes the door. And Naaman's standing at the door like, what? You're kidding, right? Is this serious? That's stupid. I don't even like that river. There's better rivers where we live. And the Bible tells us, in fact, in, uh, in, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, But Naaman became angry and stalked away. And then he says this, I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hands all over the leprosy and, and call on the name of the Lord as God to heal me. And then he talks about how the rivers from, from where he's at are, are so much better than the Jordan River. Um, and then he says, why shouldn't, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. Right? He expected something to be done a certain way and it didn't happen the way he thought it would go. So he got upset about it. Never happens to me. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he had this expectation that God was going to do something in, in a particular way, in a particular form. And you know what I think? You know, Elijah came out, or, or Elijah's servant came out, and he told him, told him, you know, what to do to be healed. But if Elijah would have come out, and he would have done what, what Naaman expected him to do, man, we would have had books all about healing that way, wouldn't we? And we would have, we would have, there, there'd be 500 books in print, and it'd be the most popular book in the world about how if you wave your hands, and you do this certain dance, and you flap your arms like a chicken, and you, you quote all this certain stuff, that all of a sudden things are going to be the way that you want, Right? <laughs> But that's not how God works. So Naaman's upset because God didn't do things the way that he had planned, the way that he thought that it would happen. It says this in verse 13, But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very different, wouldn't you have done it? See, when God asks us to do something, it doesn't always look the way that we think it should. We expect when God speaks to us sometimes for it to be, go lay hands on the sick and they, shall be, they will recover, right? And we think that things that God speaks to us sometimes should be great, grand things that are going to make us look awesome, right? But sometimes the things that the Lord speaks to us are, go call your mom and fix your relationship, right? Sometimes they're, hey, buy a couple extra cans at the grocery store and, and put them in the canned food drive, some of the things that the Lord speaks to us are subtle. They're simple. They're not extravagant. They're not grand. Right? They're the things that someone in a relationship with you would speak. They're the things that maybe I would have a conversation with my, my best friend or my wife about. Right? God speaks to us so many times the same way about the same kind of things, but it's things that he knows something about that maybe we don't. And he has a plan in place and a plan in store to bless you and to minister to you and to minister to somebody else maybe through you. And he's speaking subtly to us, but sometimes we expect him to say something else or to, to say something in a certain way and we miss the thing that he drops in our heart because we think, oh, well, that's, that couldn't have been God. That wasn't grand enough. That wasn't big enough. But the reality of it is, we pass that up sometimes. And God wants us to catch it because he wants to bless you. He wants to minister life to you and hope to you and hope through you. 
and peace through you, right? There's so many out there that the Lord wants to touch through you. And sometimes we think, oh, God couldn't use me. I'm just, you know, I'm just so-and-so. But just like God used this servant, you know, Elijah's servant, to, to, to speak something of truth to Naaman, Naaman didn't receive it, but the servant was blessed. And once Naaman became obedient, he was blessed too. The Bible tells us that Naaman finally decided to listen to his servants, and he went down to the Jordan, and he dunked himself seven times. And the Bible says he came out of that, and his skin was, was perfect and clean and, and just like a baby's skin. There was nothing wrong with it anymore. All the leprosy had gone. I love Mary's response in, in John chapter 2. Let me read this to you. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. So here's this little tiny village named, called Cana. And Jesus, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is with his, his disciples. And at this point in his ministry, he had five disciples. He wasn't well known. He hadn't been out doing miracles and healing the sick at this point. But he was invited to this wedding. It was probably a, a family friend, somebody close. And uh, Jesus' mother was invited. And subsequently, Jesus and, and his friends, his disciples, were invited. And they, they show up to this wedding. And wedding feasts could go on for a week, sometimes more. I mean, they would party and have fun and enjoy life and enjoy their relationships and their friendships. And I mean, they, they knew how to have fun. They knew how to, how to get together and just really enjoy fellowship. I mean, think of Christmas Day and have it just go on for like a week. I mean, that would just be, that would just be fun. So here's Jesus, his disciples, and the Bible tells us that they ran out of wine, right? And, and uh, it says, the wine supply had ran out during the feast. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And he says, dear woman, that's not, that's not our problem. And Jesus replies, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do what he tells you. Standing nearby were six water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Here's this thing that, that Mary says that I think speaks, spoke and speaks so directly to our nature Right, because here's these guys that are that are at this wedding feast, and Jesus isn't the disciples, and they, they realize, hey, we have a problem. We're at, we're out of wine. And Mary Mary tells them, hey, do it, do what Jesus says. I mean, they were probably thinking, who's this guy? Filling filling six water pots that hold nearly thirty gallons apiece, that wasn't as easy as taking a bucket to the kitchen sink. I mean, they had to walk. They had to travel a little bit of a distance to get to a water supply to fill these things up. Right? This wasn't just an easy thing to do. It required some effort. It looked differently than what they probably wanted it to look like. But Mary spoke to them and she said, do what Jesus says. Do what he says. Right? She spoke to the nature of mankind Right? That thing in us that, that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and directs us, that thing that says, I don't know. That might be work. Right? That might require something. Right? And that thing that Mary spoke to them, the same thing that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Do what he says. You know why? It's not because God wants us to, to, to have to work hard. 
I mean, we, we should, right? But the thing is, God wants to bless you through the process. Right? God got to use these men who, who went and filled these jars to minister something to this, to this entire wedding party, right? And it was because of their obedience that this miraculous thing was able to take place. And so, Mary spoke something that, that was just powerful to them, and I think it's something that we've got to grab a hold of. And listen, here's the thing. Our miracle may be one step of obedience away. Got it? Our miracle, your miracle, may be one simple step of obedience away. It may be a miracle that you need in your life. There may be something going on that that nobody knows about or something everybody knows about that you just absolutely need a move of God in your life because you just don't know what's going to happen if God doesn't do something in this. Right? There's areas in your life where you need the miraculous. And you may be one step of obedience away from that thing. What's that thing that God is speaking to your heart? Here, take this step. Right? I mentioned earlier, maybe it's, maybe it's make a phone call to dad to fix a relationship. Right? Maybe the, the Holy Spirit's telling you, you know, share Jesus with this person. You got to do it. You got to do it. Right? The Holy Spirit's not leaving you alone about it. Right? Maybe your financial peace is at stake. Maybe a healing is at stake. What's that thing that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and telling you, take that step? Take that step. Maybe it's joy. Maybe, maybe you're lacking joy in your life and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know how I'm ever going to ever find joy again. I don't know how I'm ever going to find peace again. And you need to know that, that God wants that for you. And today you may be here and thinking, I don't have joy, I don't have peace. And that thing that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you would be, you know what, give your life to Jesus. Surrender to Him. God wants to lead you to that place of peace. He wants to lead you to that place of joy again. So, does God really speak to us today? He does. I want to talk to you about that just a little bit. This is, this is we, we could do a whole sermon topic on this for, for, for a couple of weeks, but um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God would be equipped for every good work, Right? Equipped for every single good work. God wants you to be prepared to do good things, right? And He speaks to us through His Word. The Bible tells us that, that His Word is God-breathed. And that word in the, in the Greek literally means God-breathed, right? In, I don't like this in, inspired necessarily because inspired by God, when I'm inspired, I kind of get that sense like, oh, cool, I'm motivated, right? If, I, if I'm going to write something and I feel inspired, I'm just kind of like, Oh yeah, cool. I'll, I'll 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 go and I'll write this thing. I just had an an idea, an epiphany, right, of something to write or something to do, right? But it's more than that cuz see we see in scripture the first time where we see God breathing anything, you know what he's doing? He's breathing life into mankind. Right? He's breathing into Adam life. He's taking something that is 
lifeless and bringing it to life. And that's what he's done with his scripture. It's not that God just inspired somebody to write. He didn't just give them a good idea. But he breathed life into that thing. It was as they wrote, life was happening. It is the only book in the world that can speak life to your situations. It can speak life to your circumstances. It can speak life to your family. It can speak life to your marriage, to your parenting. It's the only one. It's the only one that no matter what you're going through, if you pick it up and you do what it says, it will change you. It'll change something in you. It's not just full of good ideas. It's full of life. So God speaks to us through His Word. Absolutely speaks to us through His Word. You know, another way that God speaks to us is through His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, when, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you. And His Spirit will lead you. He will speak to you. Right? There's, there's a couple of things. When, when you feel like the Lord is speaking to you about something, there's a couple of things to remember. Number one, it will always line up with the Word of God. Always. Every time. Right? Number one, will always line up with God's Word, the Bible. And number two, it can always be confirmed by other mature believers. Right? Other people of faith who have walked with the Lord for a while, who know Scripture. If, if you feel like the Lord's spoken something to you, come to somebody who, who's mature in the faith, maybe a friend, maybe a pastor, and say, hey, you know what? I feel like the Lord's directing me to do this. I feel like the Lord's speaking this thing to me. What do you think? And most of the time, you know, it, it probably is the Lord. And maybe it, it might be for you. It might be a word that God's given to you. It might be a word that God's given to you for somebody else. It may be a prophetic word. It may just be a word of, of something that needs obedience. Something that the Lord is just asking you to step out in. But God absolutely speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 verse 29 tells us that the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. As he, was, as he was standing on the side of a road and a coach goes by, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey man, run after that coach. And Philip's like, okay. And so he takes off running. And he's running beside this coach, probably thinking, why am I doing this? This is weird. But he had that spontaneous, immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit that spoke to his heart to run after this coach, right? And we all, most of us know the story that... that there, there was a man on there who ended up asking him about Scripture, and he ended up leading this man to Jesus right there, right? Baptizing him in a mud puddle, right? Be, out of, because he obeyed, because he took the, that immediate step that he heard the prompting of the Holy Spirit in his heart, and he obeyed what the Lord had directed him to do. And in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter is praying, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, speaks to his heart and tells him that there's three men coming to see him, right? It was just a very small prompting of the Holy Spirit that directed him. And, and I'm going to tell you, the God who spoke to them is the same God who speaks to you. For those who have given their life to Jesus. The Bible says that, that, if, that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper, God hears him. What's that mean? That means that when we give our life to Jesus, when we come to that place of surrender, see, there's a line drawn in the sand and where God has said, 
Here is salvation. It's in my son Jesus only. There's no other way to heaven except through me, Jesus said. Until we come to God on his terms, we will never come to God on our own. We can't come to God and say, God, I want this, here's my demands, I want this, I want this, and I want this. If you do these things, well, then I'll go to church three times a month, four is pushing it. Well, we can do three. And uh, this whole Jesus thing, well, I'll read my Bible. How's that? Right? We don't come to God on our terms. We come to him on his terms. And his terms are simple. His terms are Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's God's terms. That's his line in the sand that we don't cross unless we go through the cross. But once we've crossed that, once we've gone to the cross, once we've received Jesus, we've acknowledged our sinful nature, we've acknowledged our sin and said, God, I'm a sinful person. Will you forgive me? I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. When we do that, now we can come to, come, to, come to the king with our requests. The Bible says God wants us to come to him with all kinds of requests. Then we can go to him. It's an open door to come to the Father and say boldly, Lord, I need this. I have this relationship that needs help. I need this, th- this thing over here needs your attention, Father. My kids, Lord, you know, God, help And God loves to answer prayer. He loves to. He loves to hear your heart and he loves to respond. But he also loves to speak to you. And he loves to direct you. Because the Bible says that God wants to to lead you down the best pathway of your life. I've mentioned this before and it's one of my favorite scriptures. That we're not going to lead God down the best pathway of our lives. He's going to lead us. Right? But we have to submit to him. We have to begin to listen to him speak to our hearts. We have to begin to listen to those promptings in our soul. But if you don't know Jesus, you can still hear him because he's got this, this, this homing beacon out there in the heart and soul of every man, every woman, right? That, that's beating in there. It's that thing that when you wake up in, on, on a Sunday morning and think, you know, I haven't been to church in like, since last Christmas. Maybe I'll go this year. That thing that's saying, yeah, get up, do it, go. Hear about the good news that you can be forgiven. Right? Receive that good news. It's that thing inside you that's that's compelling you to Jesus. That thing that doesn't ever leave you alone. It's that thing that no matter where you're at, maybe you're seeing a movie and they may use God's name in vain. And it sets off something in your soul that says, Jesus Wow, I just felt something in my heart. Something about Jesus. Or when somebody talks about Jesus and we get offended. Oh, they just said Jesus. Can you even say that anymore? Right? Because there's something in the soul of mankind that, that sends off a pulse in our soul when we hear the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, the name that has power and authority over all creation. It's the name that, that, was, that spoke and everything became. It's the name of Jesus. 
and he speaks to us. So even if you don't know Jesus, he's calling you and he's speaking to your heart and he's saying, come follow me. So what, you're, what God is asking of you may not look like what we expect, but if we begin today to choose faith over feeling, he could change your year. Listen, we're approaching a new year. It's coming up here really soon. And we have to decide at some point, am I going to begin to listen to Jesus? And am I going to begin to listen to the promptings God puts in my heart? Because we're going to listen to one of two things. We're going to listen to our feelings or we're going to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's going to be one of the two. When we finally make that decision to listen to God and to be obedient, not just to listen, because we all hear, right? We can all listen. But responding is a different thing, isn't it? We've got to choose to step out and to be obedient. And so that's my challenge for you this year. If we can choose to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and not just listen to our feelings on how we respond, on what we do, when the Lord speaks to us and we say, I don't, I don't feel like that's God. It doesn't quite look right. It might not feel right. I don't know. That's scary. But when, when we choose to, to act in obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit, it will absolutely change your year. Did you catch that? It will change your year. If you begin now to choose to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, each and every day, each and every minute, wake up in the morning and begin to hear the Lord and act on the promptings that He puts in your heart, it will change your year. And so I want to take that challenge just one step further. And I'm going to say this. I titled this message today, The 10-Second Rule, because here's what it is. The challenge is, when you hear the Lord prompt your heart with something, or you read something in the Scriptures that say, you know what, here's something I need to obey. Here's something I need to do. I want to challenge you today to obey within the first 10 seconds that God speaks to you. Because you know what, sometimes when we, we want to let things go, don't we? We want to let it just kind of slide and slide. Next thing you know, it's a couple of days, might be months, sometimes it might even be years where something has gone undone because the Lord wanted to use you, wants to use you to bring glory to His name and change your life by a simple act of obedience. It may scare the pants off of you, but I'm going to challenge you. When the Lord speaks something to you within the first 10 seconds, respond to it. I'm going to leave you with a video. It's just real short. Um, guys, God bless you. Eric's going to, going to dismiss you today. It's going to be a great year. Check this out. Many of us like to think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. But when we sense God has actually given us opportunities to live it out, we're often hesitant, uncertain, and tempted to look the other way. It's like we have these dueling voices in our head and heart. One voice telling us to help, and the other voice giving us every excuse in the book not to help. You don't have time for this. Don't be fine. Someone else will stop and help. See, intuitively, we all know that obeying Jesus is going to cost us something. Time, money, embarrassment, something. But by doing nothing, we can save ourselves all of that. 
and life moves on comfortable and predictable, at least for us. Is it any wonder that our spiritual life feels so beige, more religious than alive? We wrestle with God over a small daily request, and yet most of us still dream of doing great things for Him someday. But the truth is, godly character is shaped less by our big dramatic decisions than it is by the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of simple obedience, largely in obscurity. So how do we get better at saying yes to these promptings the Holy Spirit is giving us? Years ago, I began living by the 10-second rule. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do, and do it immediately before you change your mind. In my book, The 10-Second Rule, I share all kinds of stories about people who are courageously living by the rule and the amazing impact that it's had on their faith journey and on the lives of those they've helped. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, and so will yours. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to um, leave here in just a moment. I want us to leave in song of uh, the, the chorus of Good, Good Father. Um, can I just get a hand of how many parents I have out in the room? Just raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, and, and as a parent, you know, I, I, I've got four. Every time I encourage my kids to do something, I guarantee you it's not out of hate, right? It's not out of anger or trying to get to them. It's out of love. And so when I speak to my kids and I give them a word, it's because I love them. I think it's important that when we hear from heaven that we remember who it is we're hearing from. You're hearing from a father who loves you deeply, who um, has the best intentions for your life. And so if he would encourage you to take a step... It's not going to be to harm you. It's going to be to prosper you. It's going to be for your encouragement and for your growth and for your health, even in the process of maybe helping somebody else. Amen? And uh, when I stop and remember who my father is, who my Abba father is, then I can really do what he asked me to do. And really, 10 seconds is too long. <laughs> you know? But um, I know that the Lord's got great things for you to do this week, to do today. I know he's already put something on your heart. I've already put a thought in your head. He's already encouraged you. And I, and I would just uh, double up with Seth, Pastor Seth and say, hey, do that thing. Do that thing. We're going to sing this chorus. And as we do, maybe for some, it'll be like, I don't know the Lord. I don't know God as the good father that you know him as, Eric. But there's something on your heart tugging, saying, I need that relationship with God. I want that relationship with God, that one-on-one. -on -one. And all you have to do is lift your hand and say, Jesus, here I am. I receive your forgiveness. Abba, Father, receive me through your son. It's that easy. We're going to sing this. Maybe that'll be you today. For some, it'll be, Lord, I hear you. I rest in who you are. I rest in who you say I am. 
and I choose your path. If you need prayer later on or right now, if you want to come down for prayer, we got a prayer team right over here. They'll be happy to pray with you. But I want you to sing this with me, and then I'll, we'll let you go here in just a bit, okay? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, 